on the first and third Sundays of the month. It's called Waterway 2-5, and it's the same kind of thing. Our kids from second grade through fifth grade are dismissed during the children's time, and they, and they go, or during the sermon time, and they go have a time where they can kind of hear the gospel in their own language in a way that they can apply it. We're looking for, there's a theme here this morning, right? We're shining our light, but, but even as we serve, we're looking for a few more folks who can help out with that Waterway 2-5 thing, and we need help this summer. So if you are able to help, um, Waterway 2-5, again, it happens for second and fifth graders uh, on the first and third Sunday of the month. We'd love to have it on a rotation where each person is helping maybe every other month. And uh, there's always two adults that work together, so you'll be paired up with someone. Uh, if a couple wants to do it together, that'd be great. But talk to Heidi Neff. Heidi, give everybody a big wave. Heidi's here in the back, and you can talk to her today if you'd like to sign up and say, you know, I could help out with those second to fifth graders. Now, today for this sermon time, um, this actually is something that's been kind of rolling around in the back of my head. The youth group asked me a really fantastic question a couple weeks ago when we were practicing for Youth Sunday. And so the youth asked me this question, I was thinking about it, we talked, and then I talked about it with the leadership team, and so the leadership team got a little bit of a preview, and I thought this might be valuable for us to think about together today on this Memorial Day weekend when we're thinking about all kinds of things like, um, like government stuff and Christian stuff and faithful stuff and how do we do this. So, so here's the question that actually was sort of the birth of this sermon. I had... Um, a group of young men asked me, is it a sin if you get pulled over by a cop? And I said, well, clarify that a little bit for me. Why are you getting pulled over? And they said, well, for like traffic stuff or, or maybe for speeding. And I said, well, are you getting pulled over because you actually did it or are you just getting? No, no, no. And, and here was, a, let's say... And, and I was hearing this from our youth boys, and so I am certain that they had their ducks in a row. But they just said, let's say that we got pulled over for speeding and we were guilty of speeding. Would that be a sin against God? And I'll be honest with you, a big reason why this came up is because that evening when we arrived here for practice, there was a state trooper who was parked in our parking lot doing some paperwork and on the phone the way they often use our parking lot. I was standing there thinking, as the pastor of the church, talking to these young folks, who many of whom have their driver's licenses or soon will, I thought, here is an opportunity to talk about things differently than I have in the past. Because in the past, and I will confess to you now, there have been times where I have talked about or told stories about driving that were not 100% in line with the advice that I would be inclined to give a youth. This happens, and ladies, it doesn't happen so much with you. I don't know what it is, though, about us guys when we get together. If the situation is right and the right people are in the circle, there are stories that get told about driving that are just not uh, very healthy or very helpful and should never be heard by a 16-year-old boy. I know those stories. I've lived some of those stories. I've repented of those stories, but I've told those stories before. Now, here are these young men saying, what do we do? Is this an issue of sin? And so here was my response. Let's look at the Bible together, because that is where our standards come from, right? I'm, 
I'm tempted to say, well, the speed limit, it doesn't say the speed limit. In the Bible, it doesn't say that I should only drive my Explorer to this speed. It's not that clear. And, and, and there is a part of me that would love to say, you know, whoever made the speed limit rules didn't understand the vehicle that I drive and the skills that I have. And there's a temptation to say that whoever set this speed limit at this spot clearly did not know the roads the way we know them because this is ridiculous to go 35, right? right. There's a temptation to say all of that. But then as we were standing there, we were led to a passage in 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'm going to read for you 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 17, and we're going to think together about how to apply this to our lives. And so, Hans, we're going to go through verse by verse right now, and then we're going to come back and hit these in a minute. First Peter 2, starting in verse 11. And you'll remember, let's keep in mind what Reuben shared with us from 1 Peter chapter 1. Reuben read with us the words of Scripture that say, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That's the background of Peter. Peter says, I am writing to you church folks, you believers, you who say that Jesus is Lord. And in 1 Peter 2, 11, Peter says, Dear friends, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. These are the words from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 17. And what I asked these young folks in our youth group to consider and what we talked about as a leadership team a few days later is what are the ramifications of this in the way that we handle ourselves and live our lives. And we could talk about that as narrowly and as particularly as how we drive our vehicles. But I want to challenge you to broaden this out today to think about this. Because remember, you... If you are a believer, you are, as 1 Peter 1 says, you are one of God's elect. You are an exile scattered throughout the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and the United States. And you have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. We are believers. We are sons and daughters of the one high king. He is the Lord. And his son, Jesus Christ, is our savior. This is our identity. This is who these friends are to whom Peter is speaking when he says in verse 11, friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Sometimes we have sinful desires that wage war against our souls. There are things we want to do that we shouldn't do. There are things that we would like to practice that we have been told we should not do practice. 
And so here Peter, is, as he's going through his explanation of how to live, he says, friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, this world is not our home, right? We all have homes here in a variety of places. We live in, in towns or townships. We live in states or in countries. And we live inside cultures. But we are really foreigners and exiles here. This world is not our home. Our ultimate citizenship is in heaven to the one high king. But Peter says, friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles here, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Do you see the strength of the language there? You have these sinful desires which wage war against us. Have you ever felt that? When you're being tempted, have you ever felt like you are at war? Like you are battling? Sometimes you feel like you're winning. Sometimes you feel like you're losing. But do you understand the language that Peter goes to here? He's not just saying, oh, sometimes you're tempted. It's, it's just one of those. No, he says, this is a war against your soul. Our sinful desires and, and our enemy, the devil, would love to rip us down so that our souls one day know the pain and the torment of hell and time away from God. There is a war against us. That may sound dramatic, but here is Peter. He's saying, friends, I urge you, abstain from those sinful desires. Instead, look at verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, pagans in the scripture, that's a small P. This is not a, a, an official group of folks, but it was interesting. Yesterday, Melanie and Bree and I went down to Delaware and we spent the day kind of on the beach, around the beach, and just enjoying some beautiful weather. And on the way home last night, we had, uh, we had our bicycles on the back of the car, which always makes me just a little bit nervous because no matter how many times I check it, I wonder, okay, am I going to lose one? Is something going to happen? Uh, and there's just all that thing. And I was driving up Route 1 last evening and I passed two people who were on motorcycles and their vest on the back said, pagans. Okay. And these guys were going slower than I was because they were on big old bikes and they weren't they weren't, um, they weren't quite keeping up with traffic. I was not going excessively fast, but they were going slower than we. So I, I went around them, and it was funny. I, I guess I had this sermon in my mind, as I often do on Saturday nights. And I saw, I saw that vest that said pagans. And I thought, what if as I'm passing these two fellows on their motorcycle, if one of my bikes would fall off the back? This is the, the weird stuff that goes through your head, right? I thought, what if that would fall off the back and really hurt one of those guys? And it didn't. The bikes were fine. I had, everything was safe and official and proper. But these are the things I wonder about when I'm driving home at night. I thought, what would happen if a bike fell off the back and, and you know, really wrecked one of those cycles? How would those pagans respond to me? And again, this, this passage popped right up. And I thought, would I be living such a good life among the pagans? that though they would accuse me of doing wrong, they might see my good deeds and glorify God. I wondered about that. If I pulled over my car and said, oh, I am so sorry, what's going on? How can I help? What, what kind of fate would befall me? Would they look and say, okay, here's a good guy, made a mistake, that's a shame, let's just fix things and move on. Or would I be in big trouble? Have you ever thought of these kinds of things? Again, pagans, and pagans. Different worlds here, but the same kind of concern. Peter is telling 
the people reading his letter, he's telling us today, live such good lives among the pagans. That's not a group of motorcycle riders. The pagans are people who don't believe in the Lord, as Peter's using it. Live such good lives among non-believers, that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live so well that even though they might be unaware of your motives, even though they might not be able to understand all the things that you're doing, they can see your good deeds. And when God finally comes back and sets things right, people will say, I have seen God because I have seen these believers. Are you living such a good life that even unbelievers, they might accuse you, they might call you names, they might make, you, make fun of you. Are you living such a good life that they can see God through you? Are you living such a good life that even if you're not sent to go to Kenya, like Susan on the video, even if you're not sent to go across the world, like some of you in this room have been called, even if you're called to stay right here, are you living such a good life among the pagans that they will glorify God on the day that God visits? Now, Peter goes on, and this is where things start to frankly get a little bit uncomfortable for most of us. Verse 13, submit yourselves. You can underline that phrase in your Bible or highlight it on your, on your phone or your tablet if you're following along that way. Submit yourselves, because this is a big deal here. Submit yourselves, that is, bring yourself under. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. I don't like that sentence. If I had been advising Peter, or if I could, if I could whisper in the ear of God, you know, like God would like me to do, I would have said, take that one out. Because I don't like to be told anything by human authorities. I don't. Do you? Who are they? Even some of the people that I like who are human authorities. I mean, what gives them the right? Well, there's a lot of stuff that gives them the right. But do you ever think that way? Who put up that speed limit sign? Really? Who's the joker that designed this intersection? Do I really have to wait for the light to turn green when I could so easily turn right on red. That no turn on red sign has to be a mistake. But what does the scripture say? I, I know that's getting into some kind of ticky-tack kind of stuff, but isn't this the stuff that we struggle with, to, to think, that we wrestle with? Isn't this part of the war which is being waged against our soul, the desire to do things my way, on my judgment? on my timing, on my agenda? What does Peter say to his friends who are believers, who are living among pagans, who are in a place where they are being accused of doing wrong? How do we live well so that these people will see God? Well, we submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. And then he gets more specific, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Now, when Peter was writing this, the Roman Empire was the powerful force of his region. The Roman Empire, at the time that Peter was writing this, just a few decades after Jesus was hung on the cross, the Roman Empire was all around the Mediterranean Sea, and, and you can go back to your ninth grade history classes if you'd like to read more about that. But the Roman Empire at this time had an emperor. This is the person who was in charge of the Roman Empire. 
And so what is Peter saying? Peter, who was this disciple of Jesus, Peter, this man who was a fisherman, a common man, a man with rough hands and calluses. Peter says, submit to the Lord, for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether that's the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are those that the emperor sends out like he would have to the regions where Peter lived and visited, the governors who are sent by the emperor to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Submit to them. How many of you just love that verse and can't wait to live it out even more fully today? If we were to use this in today's language for where we live, what it would say is submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the president as a supreme authority. And we know that there are balances and checks and powers, but there was some of that stuff happening in Rome at the time too. But if we were to write it in our language for today, it would say whether to the president or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong. How many of you just love submitting to the president? And, and I'm, I'm not just talking about the one that we've got now. I'm talking about all of them ever. How many of you are just lying, and this is making you feel warm and fuzzy right now? Again, there are some qualifications here. We're going to go through them. But do you see what's being taught? This is part of what it means for us to be witnesses to the people around us who don't know the Lord. Now, very interestingly, the Apostle Peter has written 1 Peter. He's the one who's writing all this stuff down. But there's a story about Peter in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, verses 27 to 29, and, and this would have happened some years before Peter was inspired to write the book of 1 Peter. In Acts chapter 5, verses 27 to 29, Peter and some of the other apostles had been telling people in Jerusalem and in their part of the world about Jesus, and it was causing a ruckus because the Jews didn't like it. They didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God. The Romans didn't like it because they just wanted everything to be peaceful and everybody was being stirred up. There was a problem. And so it says in Acts 5, 27, that the apostles, Peter was one of them, were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is a group of religious leaders among the Jews to be questioned by the high priest. By the way, this would have been a human authority. These were people who were in place within the Jewish synagogue and so there's some interesting stuff happening here. Verse 28 of Acts chapter 5 says, the high priest, speaking to Peter and the others, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. In other words, they're saying to Peter, you guys need to be quiet because you're causing trouble for us. And if you keep causing trouble for us, we're going to have to cause trouble for others and that blood is going to be on your hands. But Acts 5, verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Underline Acts 5, 29, and compare it against 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Peter says, we must obey God rather than human beings, to which we say, amen. God is supreme. However, years later, Peter did write that we should submit ourselves for the Lord's sake, who is our ultimate king, submit ourselves to every human authority, whether to the emperor, the supreme authority, or to governors. How can Peter say in 1 Peter that the emperor is supreme after what he did in Acts 5? Well, remember, we're talking about human authorities, all of which, even the bad ones, are under the view of God. God's authority is supreme, always. And so if a human tells you something, and God says something else, you always listen to God. 
But God did not say in the Bible that you are free to drive as fast as you would like wherever you'd like. And so if there is a human rule there that doesn't line up against God's, then we follow the human rule. Why? Because in verse 15 of 1 Peter chapter 2, it says that it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. God's will. God's will is that our lives should be a testimony of God's goodness. All the things that we do, all the ways that we conduct ourselves, all the decisions that we make should be pointing to God. Some people are foolish. Some talk is ignorant. But what does Peter say about how we silence those things? We silence these things by doing good. Do you see the case that he's building here? Now, this sounds like a pain in the neck. This sounds like I have to listen to people I'd rather not listen to. And that's what it's saying. That is correct. Why? Look at verse 16 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter says, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. We are free, you and me. And not because wars have been fought, and not because declarations have been written or because a certain government is sitting in place. You and I are free because we are under our king, the Lord and Jesus Christ. We are free in the Lord, but what is our freedom for? Not a cover up for evil. It's not just this banner that we can hang over all of our actions and say, well, I'm free, I can do whatever I want. How many of you know the Princess Bride? There's that word that keeps coming up by Vicente. He says over and over and over, he says, inconceivable. There's someone chasing us, Vicente. That's inconceivable. He's catching up to us. Inconceivable. He has just beaten the Spaniard. Inconceivable. And then eventually, eventually one of the characters says, I do not think that word means what you think it means. I'm sorry, if you don't know the movie, forgive me. But it's a great illustration of how we mess up words sometimes. There are some people running around crying, freedom, freedom, freedom. And I wanna to say to them sometimes, I do not think that word means what you think it means. Freedom doesn't mean that you can just say any old dumb thing that you wanna say. That's not what makes you free and that's not what you are free for. If you are a Christian, your freedom, your freedom is to live as God's slave, which is the ultimate freedom because God doesn't call us to things that are bad for us. God sets us free even as we follow him. See, some people are using this word freedom to say that, that they get to choose everything and it's okay. Well, we do have freedom to choose. We are free people, but it doesn't mean that every choice we make is okay. And it's really interesting. If you want to go a little deeper this afternoon, continue reading in 1 Peter chapter 2. There's an address to slaves. And there's an address to wives about how they should live, and, and particularly wives with husbands who are not believers. In all of that, Peter is saying to them, you are free people. You slaves, you're free people under the Lord. You people who seem to be in oppressive marriage relationships, you're free under the Lord. You can choose how you are going to live. Peter says here, Peter who is under the oppression of the Roman government, Peter who knows what it is to see a governor and to see an emperor who will blame Christians for murders and fires and then burn them at the stake. Peter whose Lord was crucified on a cross, a Roman cross. Why did Jesus die on a cross? 
He died on a cross because the empire called Rome used crosses to kill their criminals. And the Romans said, fine, you Jewish people are so worked up, hang Jesus on our cross. Peter, who knew all of that, says, submit to every authority, live as free people, but use your freedom to make such choices that you will live such good lives among the pagans that they will praise God on the day of his return. Whether you're an exile or a foreigner, or a slave or a woman, you are free and you can make choices in how you're going to act. But I think some of us, again, we're getting this freedom mixed up because of where we are, because of the messages that we hear from the political and historical realm. Verse 17 of 1 Peter chapter 2. If you're taking notes, keep underlining. Because verse 17 says that we are supposed to show proper respect to everyone. Underline everyone. Everyone, everyone, everyone. We don't just respect the people who respect us. We don't just respect the people we like. We don't just respect the people we agree with. Peter says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Respect everyone. Why do we respect everyone? Because all people are made in the image of God. Even those who are running away from that image, even those who have rejected that image, even those people who have rejected God still deserve our respect. We must recognize that this is God's workmanship in front of us. And as long as they are alive, we have an opportunity to witness to them and pray that they come around to believing in the Lord. Respect everyone. Love the family of believers. Why? Well, because this is basic. Peter's speaking to his, his friends. He's speaking to those who are believers. And we love because God first loved us. If you have no love in you, there's no sign of God in you. So love the family of believers. So respect everyone. Love the church. Fear God. We don't fear anybody else. We don't fear the governor. We don't fear the emperor. We don't fear the president. We just fear God. What this fear means is we have, we have such all such reverence, such worship in us that we want to be in line with God. We want to be living exactly as God wants us to live. Within our freedom, we are saying, God, you've given us this freedom. How now can we use it? We show respect to everyone. We love the family of believers. We fear God. And then why did Peter put this in here except that God would inspire him to do so? Verse 17, honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. Honor, by definition, honor means to demonstrate high respect or great esteem for someone. When you honor another person, you are saying that you see great value in them. You're not saying that they're acting good. You're not saying that they're walking in step with God. You're not lying about them. What you are saying is, this is a person who God has allowed to be in authority right now, and so we must give them respect. We're supposed to respect everybody anyway. But we give this person respect, why? Because they are a person of influence. And what is our whole job? Our job is to live such good lives, even among the pagans, that they would see God and glorify him. We want the emperor, even through their broken lenses, we want them to be able to see our goodness so that they would one day honor God. Now, there's a classic question. What if you have a bad emperor? Well, 
Luke chapter 6, Jesus spoke to that. He says, to all of you who are listening, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. What if the emperor hates me? Well, you do good to him. What if the emperor curses me? Jesus was very clear and said, well, you bless them. What if the emperor mistreats me? Well, you pray for him. All right, let's get particular again now as we try to wrap this thing up. Is it a sin to speed and get pulled over and to be declared guilty when in fact you were guilty? Well, I believe that we need to repent if we speed and break the law when we do it on purpose. If the speed limit's 55 and I'm trying to get away with 65 or 75 or 85, I'm trying to get away with something. We don't try to get away with things. And Peter tells us, look, honor the authorities. And so, yeah, I think we should repent of that. There are some of us who have things that we need to repent of that we kind of joke about because that's what all the boys do. There are some of us who have things to, to repent of because we thought, wow, it wasn't really a big deal. No, no, there was a war against our souls. And all these little things work to undermine the holiness that we're trying to enjoy with God. Let's clear this all out. What do we do with our political talk in the voting season? Hmm. What am I thinking about here? I'm thinking about yard signs. I'm thinking about the stickers that you have on your cars and trucks. I'm thinking about the hats that you wear and the shirts that you have made. We are told to honor the emperor, even if we don't believe that the emperor is worthy of honor. So what are you going to do with your political talk in voting season? You're a free person, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. What do we do with tax policies that seem to be a mess? Well, we can speak to those. We have rights and opportunities to speak into them and, and help, but how many people do you know who have fallen into the trap of now being disrespectful? How many people do you know have fallen into the trap of just blatantly dishonoring the people with whom they disagree? Is it possible for us as Christians to disagree in a way that still shows love? Yes! But there are some people who do not think that freedom means what it really means. They think they're free to say any full thing that comes to mind. What do we do with school boards and zoning boards? What's the Bible tell us to do? We show honor because these are people. These are people. We show honor to people as God's creation. We disagree, absolutely. We point out the ways that things are off track, absolutely. We, we work hard so that people understand the gospel. We don't just say, well, everything's okay. Yes, all true. But in the midst of that, we must be showing respect. We must be loving the family believers, fearing God, and even honoring the emperor. Ephesians 6, 12, the apostle Paul reminds us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, even the flesh and blood at the top of the pile. But our struggle is against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I would suggest to you that our struggle is just as Peter said it was, is against all of these sinful desires which wage war against our soul. And so today, on this Pentecost Sunday, when we remember 
that the Holy Spirit came down from heaven and landed on God's church to fill them up with power so that the world could see the goodness of God. Today, in this time where you're being called to remember all kinds of things, I wonder if you'll remember this scripture written down in 1 Peter by the Apostle Peter that calls us to respect and love and fear and honor. We don't get to pick the parts of the Bible that are convenient. We don't just get to live out the things that we like and happen to find easy. We have to make sure that as we continue to battle in this world, that we wage the kind of war that God calls us to, a war against evil, a war against sin, and a war that looks so good, even among the pagans, that they might see our good deeds and glorify God on the day that God visits us. Church, we need to pray about this because all of us have things to think about. You might not have to think so much about this speeding thing because you've got that handled, but I can guarantee you there is something in your life now, something that feels like it's being imposed on you that, that is not against scripture. It's just one of those things that is part of the place where you live. And I think we need to be thinking through how do we deal with these things that are not explicitly wrong, but just seem to be such a pain. Let's pray that God shows us how to live such good lives. Lord God, Lord God, help us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our leaders, to all the people who might be equated as being emperors or governors, all the human authorities. Lord, I pray that you would work in them, that they would be more godly, that they would be more wise, that they would be more compassionate, and Lord, I pray for their souls that they would be saved by you because they would respond to your grace. Lord, this is our prayer for all of humanity. But today, especially, remember our authorities. Lord, I pray that you'll help us because there are, there are some human regulations and there are some human laws that we would like to be free of. There are some there are some legitimately placed rules that we would simply just like to ignore. Lord, help us to discern the way that you're calling us to live. Lord, if there is something that is unbiblical and if there is something that is wrong, help us to never come under that. Help us to speak up for truth all the time. But Lord, for all of these things that, are, that, that, that kind of fall into the realm of of human rules that, that don't contradict you. Lord, help us, help us to live in such a way that people would say, wow, I want to know their God. Holy Spirit, please fill us up now because on our own, we can't do this. On our own, we just become the, we just become the, the clanging symbols that are just yelling, freedom, 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 and not using it for anything good. Holy Spirit, help us, fill us, quicken our minds. And, and today and this week, as we think about freedom, as we think about sacrifice, help us to think well about the way that you're calling us to live, even, even among emperors that we don't like. Lord, we need you. Please help us, show us the way. And I pray that we will be known by our love. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've chosen a song this morning to, uh, to end this service. Um, by our love, this is one that has, uh, there's some depth in these words. So as you stand and as you sing with us, I would just invite you to remember, to remember that love is at the bottom of all this. We're, we're working so that we can show God's love to all the people who need him.